The other thing that I would certainly say is understand that licensing may look like a trophy. It may feel like a trophy when you get it, but you haven't finished the race. You've started the race. Hey, this is Jesse here, and this is episode 55 of the Betting Startups podcast featuring Cameron Kahn, CEO of OneComply, which offers 360-degree compliance management. Cameron literally grew up in the casino and gaming industry in Las Vegas and tells the fascinating story of his family's origins in it, which spans multiple generations. He also talks about the regulatory compliance landscape, the challenges of getting and maintaining licenses across multiple jurisdictions, and everything that OneComply is doing to make life easier for both regulators and licensees. I had a great time talking with Cameron, and I hope you enjoy this episode as much as I did. But before we get started, I wanted to give you a heads up that the Betting Startups newsletter is getting a big upgrade this year, and now's as good a time as any to make sure you're subscribed. Head on over to news.bettingstartups.com and take 10 seconds to get the industry's only startup-focused newsletter straight to your inbox. We are back on the Betting Startups podcast, and today's guest joins me from across the pond, though in this instance, I'm not actually talking about the Atlantic Ocean, but rather I'm talking about the Strait of Georgia, which is the body of water that separates Vancouver Island, where I'm based, and the city of Vancouver, where he's based. Welcome to the podcast, Cameron. Happy New Year to you, man. How are things on your side of the Georgia Strait here in the early innings of 2023? Jesse, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan. Uh, Happy New Year's as well. The snow's gone. That's a good thing for all of us who uh, either were living here or trying to get out of here during the holiday. So glad to come back to Vegas, see that there was no snow and it's not raining. So I'm a happy guy. Yeah, back to our regularly scheduled rain here for the rest of the winter, right? Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Well, look, we've been trying to get this one going for uh, quite a while now. Lots to talk about everything in the world of compliance management and everything you and the team are up to at OneComply. But before we get there, I really want to spend a few minutes up front here talking about yourself and your background because, you know, you have such an interesting history to me and your roots in this industry and your family's roots in this industry are really fascinating to me. So I think to start off today, it'd be great if we could spend a few minutes uh, having you introduce yourself and maybe talk about your background and particularly within this industry and again, your family's roots within it. Yeah, no, I I think it is an interesting story, certainly when speaking with investors or people kind of new to the industry and and telling that story. And so a family members that are in the American Gaming Association Hall of Fame, big shoes to fill. And gaming's really been an entire part of my life. Growing up in Las Vegas, I literally was born and raised in this industry. My my grandfather, William Bennett, bought Circus Circus in the mid-70s with a guy named Bill Pennington. My mom started a company called Paragon Gaming. And so when Excalibur opened, I was there. My first set of golf clubs were actually a marketing promotion that if you hit a jackpot, you got a set of golf clubs that said Excalibur on it. You know, these things that probably wouldn't happen anymore, but, you know, my mom would work on a Saturday and she would take me to work with her and they would have a slot tech, open up a slot machine, take a bucket, put quarters in it and give it to me and send me off to the arcade. So that was kind of my babysitter was was being in in this environment in gaming. And so I always knew that was probably where my life was was going to go. And and obviously going out on my own and starting these companies, having just that that resource, one that ingrained knowledge of of where the industry's gone over the last 20 or 30 years and and the steps that it's gone through, but having those resources say, is this crazy? Can you give me a real world example of that? And having that access uh, has really been beneficial to saying, how can we make the industry better? How can we protect the industry? And I think that's kind of where where we've got to with one comply but you know i oddly enough started on the development side i was working for my family's company paragon we were building a casino in edmonton and i was boots on the ground literally was wearing steel-toed boots and i worked pulling wall covering and furniture as an owner rep doing logistics and customs to to build a casino 
and getting a court to be, to see the AGLC process of starting, you know, indigenous gaming for the first time within the province. I built a second casino and then things took a really interesting turn. I was uh, head of development for the company. We were building a property in here, Vancouver, and I had spent two years of my life of saying, we are going to build the first really integrated style resort in downtown Vancouver. It was really going to be amazing. And Mayor Robertson put the moratorium on gaming and said, you can open up this property, but you cannot increase the amount of machines or the amount of table games. And it went from being a development project to really a bean counter project. Without those revenue generating devices, what can we build? And so I was a developer that had nothing to develop. And so on my 30th birthday, I became a dealer. I reached out to my family and said, hey, I built casinos. I've worked on these development projects. I've done all these kinds of things. I've never actually worked in one. And I was fortunate enough early in my 20s to do a management development program with Marriott. And I said, let me go do that. Let me go be a dealer, a slot attendant, a cage attendant. Let me go do every single job. I'll give you feedback from my acumen of what we can do better. But I will get this executive education of doing all these jobs. So listening to your last podcast where Benji was moderating, I feel like maybe I hadn't accomplished enough considering what Mr. Leedy had done by the age of 27. And here I was 30 and I was dealing cards. But it was really a transformative position in, in my career because I'd always started from the bottom up. And I got to see what those pain points were, what managers went through, what supervisors went through, and then became an executive uh, in the industry. And after about 13 years, I called my family and said I quit. And I started my first startup and it was in responsible gaming. And I think it was a bit too early. PASPA hadn't yet repealed. I knew there was an issue from what I had experienced in the bricks and mortar. Really the Vancouver market, the BC market was at the precipice of what responsible gaming was with BCLC, GameSense and knew this was going to be a problem. And I think still at that point, it was still lip service of, hey, we're going to donate, you know, we're going to do a responsible gaming week. But there really wasn't the desire to do the work of innovation. And I think there is now. I think if I would have started this company a year ago, it would have been successful. And, and that was a big shot. But it led me to one life, which has really been an amazing adventure. That's awesome. I think the origins are really interesting here, Cameron. And maybe just take us through the period of time predating One Comply. But what was the sort of the origins? And I guess where was your headspace at in terms of what you were seeing in the landscape and within the market that sort of planted the seed that ultimately sprouted and became One Comply? Yeah, you know, I had to get licensed as, as what we would call a key person working in the BC market as an executive. But it was kind of this, I can't believe I had to do this, this terrible experience and go through it. And it was kind of a one and done. And it wasn't until I, I started my first company that I had to go get licensed as a business owner. And I, you know, worked through the process with uh, New Jersey, with Pennsylvania and West Virginia. The real aha moment was when I had filed my first application, I said I was engaged. And by the time I was being investigated, I was married. And that small shift required a lot more information because now who is your wife and her taxes and her parents and what did they do? And I went, how many of these moments happen? How many, how many times is there a lawsuit or a you know, regulatory infraction or the, you are called to testify or you open a bank account, like all of these living and reading things that happen and realize that these small innocuous decisions that we're making actually have this tremendous impact, both as individuals and as a business. I think that was where I kind of looked and saying, okay, this is an opportunity. Going through that process of repeating this information, I knew that that was an opportunity. But when I looked at this piece of paper, I realized how much I was throwing away, that I was taking hundreds of thousands of data sets and I was giving them to the regulator to investigate that they now own. I was taking this information and putting it in a box and not looking at it again. And understanding that those were all the underpinning data points 
then carry on to compliance and to, to operational compliance. And I think that's a, a big thing that the industry just kind of took it on the chin and just said, I got to go through this and it's for this license, which is so important. And then we walked away from it. And I think we, we looked at it and said, hey, there's got to be scale in the industry. There's value in this data. It's a necessary process. The government kind of dictates what the product is. It's a piece of paper. It's PDF. I don't have to invent the questions. They're telling me what to ask. So even from a development standpoint, the roadmap was there. So it was really a, an easy beachhead or come to market for, for one life. Awesome. Well, let's take a bit of a deeper dive now into One Comply, Cameron. Maybe just for folks listening that maybe aren't familiar with it, it'd be great if you could just give us a high concept overview of what is it at the high level and, and sort of who are the customers and what's the overall value proposition to them? I think you have to start with understanding really the, the landscape of what gaming is. Now, this is a sports betting podcast, so I think a lot of people know what sports betting is. But I think when we traditionally think of gaming or we think of casinos or gambling or whatever you want to call it, we think of the win or we think of Caesars and we think of these operators. We have to think about every single thing that goes into that casino. So whether that is an ATM and Tito machine, it is a table game, it is a slot machine, it is a chair, um, anything that impacts your ability to perform gaming or dictate the outcome of a bet needs to be licensed. Now, we take this to the digital space and whether this is iGaming or sports betting, who's developing the platform? Who's processing payment? Who's driving customers for CPA or rep share with affiliates? They all have to be licensed. So the industry is actually quite in regards to how many clients have to engage with licensing. And if you are engaging with, you know, any kind of operations in gaming, you have to get licensed. And there's over 200 jurisdictions in the U.S. alone. So if you are a slot provider, you are a platform provider, you need to go get all of these licenses. What we do is we centralize all of that data that's required to get that license. And once again, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of data points that are very repetitive. You have small differences between applications, um, between license types, but traditionally, that information is the same. So you know, with onboarding your information to OneComply, you're 95% complete with any application that you need to file, any renewal that you need to file. What's more important is it's that living and breathing aspect that I talked about. Things change. Your life changes. And now this gives you that sandbox to engage with that data when it's real, when it's fresh. Anytime you get a bank statement, you now have a place to put it, creating value to you in the future. That was the beachhead. How do we help companies scale? Companies that really flourish with one why are what I call tip of the spear client. They have to be in market first. When Ohio is accepting applications, they need to be first because there's eight operators that need their product to also go live. And so our, our clients are heavily engaged with their data, with compliance, with licensing, because they need to be that tip of the spear. This is going to allow us to get this data perform a value going through the licensing process is absolutely terrible. So that pain point is very real. And the idea was, how do we take that data and go further? How do we then engage with you automatically on things that are stale? How do we then take it into reporting and material change notifications that if someone does go in and say, you know what, I just got sued, I got served. It's going to tell you that that's a material change based on all your licenses. Here's what you need to do next. And I think Really, the ethos of, of what we're trying to accomplish is if you have really good data, you understand that and you perform an action, that is going to dictate your next step. So all you need to do is just perform your job function and you are going to remain compliant. And I think that's really where we need to be with how big this industry is getting with, with the expansion of sports betting and I game. 
Awesome. No, that helps a lot, Cameron, and, and makes a ton of sense. And so far as I think some of the, you know, the repeatable data that your clients are inputting into these different systems and sort of centralizing all of that and, and really driving that efficiency that you talked about. Curious if you could talk a little bit about just where one complies at in his overall journey so far and just insofar as traction is concerned, however you want to define that. Do you give folks listening a sense of kind of how you think about where one complies at as of now? Yeah, and, and I think it's it's all in stages, you know, in regards to to what we do on the licensing side. I, I think we firmly cemented ourselves in the market. We have clients all over the world, everything from small startups. There's seven of your guests that are clients of ours, all the way to billion dollar companies, companies that have been around for 30 years and companies that are brand new. So in regards to product market fit, which we would talk about a lot in startups, we really have achieved that. But that was the beachhead. And so now it's What's the next step and how can we utilize this data and either how do we monetize it or increase, you know, product efficiency or stickiness within the market? That's really where we sit. And we're really in the infancy of that. A big goal of ours was to make this operational, to make this an operational tool and not only have it in the hands of the executives or the lawyers or the client staff, but how do we get it into HR? How do I get it into facilities? How do I get it into finance? That's where we sit right now. I think there's a tremendous work to do. I think there's a ton of work to do in the bricks and mortar space, which is going to be a big focus of 2023. But uh, we're very confident with what the industry is going to need, even if we don't know that we need it yet. I, I think we have a good barometer of, of where, where the, the industry is, is going to kind of need this support. Absolutely. So as I'm thinking about one comply, you know, and sort of visualizing it in my head here, it almost as though it sits in between the operator and different regulatory bodies. So you have multiple stakeholders, I guess, that you, um, you know, you interact with and that you're supporting. I guess a couple of questions around that, Cameron, the first, maybe on the regulator side. Curious, I guess, how in your experience, gaming regulators are looking at technology solutions in general, like OneComply, to improve the, the licensing and, I guess, investigative process. Can you just talk about kind of what your experience has been sort of on the regulator side as new technologies like this emerge and start to become more available to operators out there in these different jurisdictions? I think you actually have to go back and look at kind of innovation as a whole from, from the gaming industry and where did innovation traditionally come from? For a long time, gaming wasn't investable. It was a vice. It was sex, drug, and gaming, not really going to talk to you. So we didn't have VCs. We didn't have a lot of innovation, certainly on the picks and shovel on the red tech side. Innovation came from a very small nucleus of cash-rich people that could go create this innovation, whether that was Tito machines or, or helping with markers or new slot machines or, or that kind of new tech with the repeal of Pasto, with the VCs coming into the market, there's now been a real tremendous opportunity. The bad thing is, is I think any startup that's going and approaching the regulators directly is kind of a hill that you can die on. You can win really big, but that that's a, a long sales process and then RFPs and it's all those kind of things. So, you know, like us, we went to the B2B side. We went B2B knowing that there was tremendous value to our clients is what we were doing. We knew that there was a byproduct of value, the regulators. So we don't go to the regulators and say, hey, this is a terrible process. We're going to make it easier. That's using that an easy conversation to have. So what we did is said, how do we make a product that is helpful to our clients, but also beneficial to the regulators where they can start to be introduced to one comply. And we started that with file share. You are uploading all of these documents to engage with for the submission of your license. Well, why don't the regulators just come into one comply and get it? And it's more secure. You can have conversations. You can request information directly in one comply. And it was really speared on by our clients. Our clients reached out to the regulator and said, hey, instead of using Dropbox, can we just use OneComply because it's already there and I don't have to duplicate PII? 
So that was kind of our back-end strategy of getting the regulators aware that there are companies that are third-party that really do care about this industry that are trying to create efficiencies. On the regulator side, traditionally what we've done with innovation is we've taken from other industries. And we've seen that a lot. Certainly all of the AML up until where we sit now with companies that Connectify, they pulled stuff off the shelf from banking. And they said, well, it works in banking and banking is stable, so let's take it. Banking and casinos may seem similar, but they're not. And they're radically different. And I think that's why there's been a lot of struggles on the AML side. There's been regulatory bodies that said, we're over the licensing process. Let's go get a liquor licensing pot and put it in gaming. And it hasn't worked. I think there are more regulators that are open to innovation. And that's a really good thing to see both on, you know, the customer facing side, but certainly on, on their side. And we've had a, a conversation now with a lot of regulators that just said, I can't do this anymore. And so I think there's a tremendous opportunity to start bridging that gap of whether it is a product that's going directly to the regulators that now the applicants are interfacing or tying them together. And I think that's where we can really do something fantastic in the industry if we're starting to use centralized databases where that's what we provide for our customers to engage with regulators. What about a centralized data to allow regulators to engage with the same set of data? We now have 31 jurisdictions for sports betting. So now let's think about if there's this change that happens in Ohio, does New Jersey know about it? How does this engagement? And I think the better we do that, we're gonna keep people on site because we're being open. And gaming is an industry where everything eventually comes to life. It always does. And that's why regulators are good at what they do. It just sometimes takes a month and sometimes it takes a decade. But those things come to light and they are very, very impactful to the industry. Awesome. I also want to, as I say, ask about it from the operator side. And you touched upon, I guess, just innovation in general within the industry. And I guess, you know, from my perspective sitting here, I'm talking to a lot of uh, entrepreneurs that are looking to innovate and, and effect change within the industry. So a lot of new people coming into the space, Cameron. And I guess, you know, with the entry of so many new innovative companies and entrepreneurs that maybe don't come with the background in the industry that somebody like yourself has, Curious if you can talk a bit about like, what are some of the pitfalls that maybe you would caution some of these entrepreneurs on? Or, you know, what are some of these mistakes that they could avoid to, I guess, prevent accruing regulatory debt over time? I think the first pitfall, and it's become this knee-jerk response of going, I'm starting a gaming company, I need a gaming lawyer. Um, and I've actually had some mutual friends on uh, of the podcast have conversations with me of just saying, I'm spending so much money on lawyers. I always ask them of going, you personally, how complicated is your life? Is it, I mean, do you have like some skeletons in the closet that you want to figure out how to kind of dig out and show and not get in trouble for? No? Okay. What about your business? Oh, my business is six months old. There's not a lot there that you need the legal advice on, certainly on the licensing process. And I think we're paying a lot of money to people to review our information that is very, very straightforward. And so understanding the process, understanding the requirements, certainly understanding what's at stake, would call regulator, pick up the phone and just say, hey, this is who I am. What do I need to do? Because the regulator wants you to file the right thing. The regulator doesn't want to reject you because you forgot something or you missed something or you can't answer something incorrectly. They really are a resource. So I think that's really that first pitfall is, you know, understand that if you are fairly uncomplicated, don't complicate it and, and don't add that expenditure. The other thing that I would certainly say is understand that licensing may look like a trophy. It may feel like a trophy when you get it, but you haven't finished the race. You've started the race. 
I talk a lot about regulatory debt, you know, when I talk to people and it happens the same way as technical debt and we're talking about startups and technology, except it's less visible. How many times as technical innovators that we build something and we go, oh, we're just going to put this in, but we know that we have to redo it. That problem resurfaces a lot during your sprints and during your releases going, God, we've got to fix this technical debt. Compliance debt doesn't do that as much because it's usually kind of hidden somewhere. And so it's really staying on top of what do I need to do? What do I need to do every month? What's the accountability? Who's responsible for this? And that's everything from courtings to my taxes to my employees. That can get you in a lot of trouble really, really quickly. And don't make one person the champion. I get on a lot of calls with companies where they say, Mike is the person who's going to use this system and it's all about Mike. Great. And then I got to get on a conversation with the CEO and he goes, why do I have to do all this? Mike can't help you if you don't really support what needs to happen. And I think we compartmentalize licensing. I think we compartmentalize compliance. It impacts every decision you make as a gaming company. It impacts every single employee. And if you don't have that leadership from top down, and you don't have that support to Mike, it's going to be a really rough journey specifically for Mike. Let's shift a little bit here, Cameron, and uh, I guess come back to one comply specifically. I want to spend a couple of minutes here just talking about some of the stuff we talk about with all my guests. So the first thing uh, will be just the funding background. I know you guys have raised a little bit of money, uh, I believe, last year. Just wondering if you can give folks listening a bit of a background on funding as maybe part one to the question. Uh, and then as a second part to that, just curious sort of how you're thinking about capitalizing future growth with One Comply and I guess any funding plans for the coming year ahead. So full honesty, was really sour after my first company didn't work. You didn't have enough investors in the market that really understood, you know, how prolific responsible gaming was going to be. And I was really kind of tired of, of educating during these conversations. And so when we were starting this, I was like, oh, I just don't want to go through this again. And I was having a conversation with a good friend and he just said, start the company. I'll go raise the money. And I said, okay. And he goes, no, 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 leave it with me. I'm going to go raise the money. Went, okay, sure you are. So my original cap table is oil and gas, NHL guys, some good old boys from Saskatoon. It's just not your traditional way because once again, I, I looked at this and, and although sports betting was exploding, everyone was really excited about the TAM of this $50 billion sports betting market. They didn't understand compliance and they didn't understand licensing and, and I didn't think that they were going to understand our vision. And so, you know, we really went to Mark with, uh, with, uh, with a good buddy, Jeff, who just said, I'm going to go raise this money. And he, and he did a hell of a job and it allowed us very quickly, you know, to, to get, you know, that POC and, and market and get traction from really great people. And going to our latest round, we went with strategic and we went with Warner investments and Bill Warner has, has done just a tremendous job within the industry. And it was very strategic, not only because he knew the pain point, but his understanding of bricks and mortar. And bricks and mortar is, is such a big thing that we wanted to tackle. And, and not only were we getting, you know, these very valuable dollars to the company, uh, we were getting access. We we're getting access to someone to just say, hey, when this happens, what do you do? What do you wish you had to do into a more stable part of the market? And right now we're, we're seeing attrition. We're seeing consumption of other companies. We're seeing companies fall out of the sports betting market because they just can't compete for the, the CPAs that are happening. And we're going to see that. And anyone who's supporting those type of, of customers, they're going to lose chunks of their revenue because these companies are falling out. And there is you know, over a thousand casinos in the U.S. market, and they're all EBITDA positive. And they all have the same issues. 
And so it was a very big thing of going, hey, we got to penetrate this market. I think we've done 10% of what the opportunity is there. It's now selling that there's still 90% of a problem. And so, you know, we are looking at this year of what's going to happen this year. I hear a lot of doom and gloom about what's going to happen this year. I hear a lot of doom and gloom about valuation. I think with, with what we've done, the story we have to tell, the traction that we have, the examples that we have of, of what the future of the industry is going to look like, and these problems will still exist. Yeah, we're going to go to market and raise money at, at some point this year, uh, hopefully sooner than later, not because we need to, but because of the uncertainty of what Q2, Q3, Q4 of this year is going to look like. Fair enough, Cameron. I guess just sticking with the industry for a second, you just talked about, uh, you know, predictions and obviously at the start of the new year. So we've all been reading these lists over the last couple of weeks with everybody with their hot takes and predictions yeah. for the industry in 2023. So I'm going to put you on the spot here and ask you uh, if you have any particular, I guess, predictions, maybe contrarian predictions uh, for the industry in 2023 as you look ahead to the year. Yeah, I mean, destined to fail, I think maybe with whatever I say, kind of like we all are when we do these. I think we're going to see more attrition, unfortunately. I just think that we, we can't compete. But I think on the other side of that, I think you're going to see stakeholders and shareholders say, we can't keep doing this. You know, these CPAs are, are just too high. And, you know, there's just not enough years in the lifespan to get an ROI on what we're spending to get these players. What is so unfortunate, there's still more states to go live. There's not as many. And I think that's almost a good thing. Because these large companies are so competitive when a new market opens. I mean, just love to see the numbers of marketing dollars and CPAs for the launch of Ohio. Like how much money was spent? Problem is, is we're going to repeat that when the next state opens. And we're just going to double down to get market share. So I think as we slow down with the emerging of new states, hopefully that helps ride that out. But I think stakeholders and investors are going to say, we just, this isn't sustainable and we can't do this. We saw this in Vegas. We saw this in the mid 2010s where you were saying, hey, uh, the high level player come deposit a million dollars and I'll give you 10% back. You can't do that. And then another property said, well, we'll do 12 and we'll throw in this. And it just becomes very expensive and, and the margins are already tight, certainly in sports betting. And, and we just can't do it. So I, I think those are the big predictions. I think we've only started with innovation. I, I think it's only going to grow and going to see it on the operator side where there are going to be strategic positions made through acquisitions, bricks and mortar. We want to be in this market. We're in this market digitally. We want to own property in this market and finding that cohesiveness between the engagement of the digital side, the bricks and mortar side and building those up in tandem. So I think you're going to see more strategic opportunities for whether it's digital operators or bricks and mortar operators to make more acquisitions, to be strategically placed in both areas in the market. All right. Well, we'll put a pin in that and check in in a year from now and see how you did with those. But uh, uh, just sticking with the, I guess, you're ahead of us here, uh, zooming in on OneComply specifically, what are some of the main priorities for the company this year? I mean, you sort of previously alluded to the product and the, the growth of the product and maybe building it out horizontally to serve new use cases within your clients' organizations. But beyond the product, Cameron, uh, you know, what are some of the big things you have going on this year? And I guess in a year from now, when you look back on 2023, what does a successful year look like for OneComply? Yeah, I think on the, on the product side, it's certainly getting more entrenched in bricks and mortars. You know, we're, we're working with bricks and mortar partners that don't use us for licensing. They're not using us for that original solution. They're using it for centralization, automation of data to stay on site. And that's a very, very big thing for us to continue providing this value, reducing risk uh, in the bricks and mortar side. It's really important that any product 
that we are developing currently has to sell to both channels. And so, you know, um, this month's releasing material change where if someone goes in, augments data, we're engaging with that data to tell them what they need to do next, you know, uh, to stay on side, creating uh, centralization for minimum internal control standards, being able to centralize these control standards, have your evidence and being able to use that across multiple jurisdictions. So that's something that impacts the digital side, impacts the brick and mortar side. But another thing that, that doesn't have anything to do with developing new product, it's going back to our clients that have been with us in the, in the first year of saying, I don't think you know everything that we do. Because with startups, and certainly our startup, you, you're constantly evolving and you're constantly adding value. And I think a big part is, is re-engaging with a lot of our clients and going, hey, think that you know about these tools and, and it's easier said than done. I had a conversation with a client two days ago and I just said, hey, will you click on this? Did you know that this is here? Did you know that you could pull up a calendar and see every single thing that's going to happen in your company? Did you know that you could do that? Did you know that you can assign contracts directly to people for auto renewal? Who's reviewing it? There really is so much that we do. So I think that's a big part because we've released these products that the client may not know about because it is a very comprehensive solution and it's only going to get more comprehensive. So as a CEO, looking at what we need to do to be successful is making sure that our clients see all the value that we have provided will be a big part of, of the education of this year. I think we'll continue growing at the clip that we are, which is really great. I think, you know, getting more into bricks and mortar provides that stability to the bottom line, which any investor is going to want to see. And uh, so that would be a really big push for us in 2023. Awesome. And that takes us to my standard closing question. Just in case you haven't heard it, I will quickly repeat it, which is if you weren't working on One Comply or working in the industry whatsoever or worked in any previous careers in a parallel universe, what would you be doing instead? I think I would be totally shrewd. I saw this question. I've heard this question. And obviously, I told a little bit about my background. It's, it's really my entire life. I think there was a fleeting moment as I think a lot of teenagers uh, kind of have, is uh, I want to be a musician. I, I wanted to be a singer-songwriter. It was kind of my passion. And uh, when I moved to Chicago to go work for Marriott, I walked into a blues bar and I saw how incredible these musicians were. I was nothing like them. And so, yeah, I would probably be a terrible busker that just makes absolutely zero dollars and then would just go get some remedial job. Unfortunately, that, uh, yeah, that's what I came up with. I'm sorry. It's, it's so disappointing. Oh, that's not disappointing at all. There's no wrong answers on this podcast, Cameron. So we'll <laughs> allow that. <laughs> awesome. Um, for folks listening that might want to learn more about One Comply and or get in touch with yourself, where can you point them towards to do both of those things? Yeah, onecomply.com. Spelled out, O-N-E-C-O-M-P-L-Y.com. I mean, you can book a demo directly on the site. You can always reach out to me, uh, Cameron at onecomply.com. We'd love having conversations. I think that's what's really unique about what we do is that every company is different. Every company has a different makeup. They have a different experience. They have a different way they, that they process this. And we love having those conversations because every call is something new. And that is the opportunity. And that's also the danger in, in the future of the industry. Awesome. Well, look, it's been great to have you on. I'm really glad we finally got around to this and uh, wishing you and the team all the best for the year ahead and look forward to staying in touch. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. It was a pleasure being on and uh, best to you in 2023, man.